Hey, everybody. I uh, know the last podcast ended very abruptly after some awkward comments and there was no explanation given. Uh, we were recording late into the night and we did a two hour, two hour, you know, two and a half hour recording session and um, wanted to split it up into two episodes. The first half was the uh, Anaheim Ducks discussion and then we got into another discussion about the AHL fighting rule changes, which we haven't released yet. Um, we still will release that. Uh, I was going to make a, a mic intro to bring it together. So you knew what was going on. Wasn't in a position to do that, but we wanted to get the episode out. So that is what that's about. Um, I would be remiss. I know a lot of people in media do this and it doesn't mean a whole lot, but, uh, the tragedy that just happened in France, uh, this evening is, uh, abhorrent and awful and terrorism is just a terrible thing. Um, I don't know all the details. I just quickly saw it on Twitter, but, um, there's a giant gathering, you know, a giant festival of some sorts and, uh, a terrorist type in a semi truck, semi truck type vehicle with a bunch of weapons and explosives drove through there. And I'm pretty sure there was some type of number of over 70 people killed. Um, that's no good in this, this, whether it's domestic and, African-American, white, inner city, world, and, you know, France, this is the second thing Francis had happened. Uh, just really terrible, man, whether you're religious or not, or, you know, if you're a human being, it's it's pretty awful to hear stuff like this, and it's starting to become very concerning uh, to hear hear it so frequently. So I just wanted to bring that up and, you know, acknowledge that because it's, it's awful, and uh, I hate to hear that. <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's that's one thing the off season does is it makes you pay attention to the news a little bit more. Because <laughs> I, I I really don't. I try not to, but yeah, it seems like every time you you look, it's it's bad news. Uh, but yeah, glad you brought that up. Um, pay some respects to all the people going through all these tragedies. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't I didn't even know about it. So that shows you how tuned in I am. Yeah, I, I didn't bring it up to you in our pre-show conversation. I, I last second I, I thought about it and I was like, you know, I should probably acknowledge that. Um, yeah, there's been a lot of sad things going on, man. It seems like every every other day, uh, people just need to get their shit straight, focus on what matters. But no, it's it, it's coming from all sides, man. It, it's cops. It's racial violence. You know, people abusing their authority, terrorism, like whatever you can think of, man. You got white people shooting up stuff too. It, it's, you know, like the and then in Dallas with the cops being gunned down by an ex-military person. It, it's all it's all fucked up. It's all terrible. It, like, there's all the debate of like, what side are you taking? Are you on the cop side or are you on the uh, Black Lives Matter side? It's like, dude, no, it's. It's all awful. You can you can take both sides. It's pretty awful what the cops have to go through, like good American hardworking cops, white and black. It's awful what they have to go through, you know, and defending their towns and their cities and putting their lives on the line when they got kids at home. But some of the it's indisputable. Some of the things that have happened to some of these African-American men where they've been gunned down for no reason. I mean, it's all terrible. You don't have to pick a side. It's all terrible. Nobody should lose their life for no reason. Not that there really ever is much of a reason, but nobody should lose their life for no reason. And you don't have to pick a side. It's all it's all injustice. So 
I'll close on that. It is. It is. Yep. Well, I don't know how you're going to segue out of that. Well, you didn't give me a chance. (laughs) You didn't give me a chance. Okay. Don't don't leave me out to put the dirty shit out there and then, like, fade away into the background. Thanks for that. I had a segue. All right. Let's hear it, man. Well, it's not there anymore. Um, (laughs) Okay. Well, if if you're a frequenter of hockey podcasts, then... um, Hopefully you listen to our little program here, but uh, you definitely know that most other frequented hockey programs are on hiatus right now. So that's why we're happy to get our feet wet (laughs) with what we do because everybody else is on break. So maybe you'll stumble upon us and give us a a listen or two or seven. Oh man, is it, is it as painful for you as it is for me? Because I, it's a part of my daily routine, and especially this year. And I, I think uh, that's probably apparent by the fact that you know here we are recording again. We listen to podcasts daily. I know I do. And you're the one that got me into them, you know, the, years back. And now it's just become a part of my daily routine where I've got my list. I go through. I see who's posted up, and I'm just on it right away. And uh, right now it's it's scarce and it's killing me, man. Yeah, for sure, dude. And I know other than F1 and uh, European football, you don't really frequent the other American sports. And so for you, it has to be killing. It has to be deadly. But I am a I am an American sports fan. So I'm definitely all over a bunch of different NFL podcasts. I, I'm a huge football nerd too. So there's plenty because the, you know, OTAs and uh, training camp is starting up. So there's a lot for me to listen to, but it's not hockey. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not hockey. Uh, yeah, no, it's not. Uh, F1 does help me get through, but there's only a race every couple of weeks. And, you know, I'll sit there and I'll watch the practice sessions and the qualifying. And, you know, I love, I love, soccer you know european football and luckily enough that's a long season but even still you know north america in general united states in particular is just not as well plugged in to to european soccer so you know it's it's hard to be a fan i mean it's hard to be a hockey fan in florida as a lot of you could probably imagine that that aren't living in a non-traditional market such as this Uh and it's weird because I'm located like dead center between Tampa and and Florida, uh, the Florida Panthers. And you would think with two teams, especially two teams that I personally can't wait to get into because of the the movement that they're making analytically, the roster players that they're bringing in, the contracts that they're signing. Like these two teams are going to be really, really good. And I think they're going to be dominating the division pretty soon. Yet, I'll go out there with with my Red Wings hat on or a jersey, and it's not very often that somebody <laughs> makes a comment and strikes up a conversation about hockey. So when you're an F1 soccer and hockey diehard, you, you have no friends, basically. It's, <laughs> well, that's you, don't, you don't have any friends anyway because you're not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't supposed to tell anyone that, man. Um, on the docket today, so like most of our episodes are just a, uh, if it's not centric on one ideal, um, we normally like free flowing around, but, uh, today we wanted to get into some of these, um, investments 
if you will, investments that some of these teams have made. A lot of young players that were RFAs or scheduled to be RFAs or not even up yet, but uh, teams extending their young players at very pricey contracts in the hopes that the cap will go up in the future. And if and if not even the cap going up, but after two or three years, those contracts be in bargains. And we've <clears throat> we've already seen some of that, like with the Panthers when they extended uh, Trocheck and Smith to a uh, Riley Smith to uh, mixed reviews. Like some people didn't like those deals because they hadn't proven themselves yet, but. I mean, if you watch enough Florida Panthers hockey, you know that maybe not. I mean, Riley Smith can score goals, but a guy like Trocheck, how hard he plays and how uh, his skill, I, I mean, he, he'll he be worth that money. But um, there's been a handful of those, and we were hoping to get into those. And I don't think it's been um, released officially, but it looks like uh, George McPhee is going to be the uh, general manager for the Las Vegas team, which is rumored to be called the Black Knights which is kind of ridiculous, has no tie to the uh, city and its history and gambling, which it should, so, some, something along those lines. I mean, it's corny, but whatever. Like the Oilers. Oilers is corny. People in Edmonton, oh, there's a lot of oil oil harvesting. Okay, Oilers. I mean, when you think about that in a vacuum, it's not like a cool team name. It just has something to do with the uh, geographic situation. So, Well, a, a lot of team names are kind of corny. I mean, and, and a lot of them, a but lot a of, lot of them have to do with the geographic location. No, they do. They do. The the one that always like is at the top of my mind is is the Ducks. You know, when they came in, they were the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Like I was down with that. You know, I was totally down with that because I watched the movies, like a lot of you guys did. I love and, those purple jerseys. Oh, and the logo was great. The logo was great. But when I talk to somebody that, oh, that yeah. doesn't know hockey and doesn't appreciate hockey now, they're like, oh, who's playing tonight? Oh, I'm like, you know, it's the Kings and the Ducks. And they're like, the Ducks? Really? You know? <laughs> and I, I guess from like a third person perspective, when you throw a name out there like the Ducks, it's it's a little hairy. But the problem there in uh, in Vegas is more or less trademarking issues. And that's one problem. They're having a real tough time getting a, a solidified like militaristic logo which i think is on the docket there and uh just given foley's pass uh and then also all the names are taken and the rights to them are owned and they're having a real tough time coming up with a name right now but you know and i think i'm stealing this actually i'm like 99.9 percent sure that i'm stealing this and probably from like greg or, or lozo because uh, I listen to those guys daily as well. Uh, but sorry for repeating their joke, but they should totally go with craps, man. They should <laughs> totally go I, with craps. I, I'm pretty sure that was Lozo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. And I'm pretty sure the running joke was that they would run brown jerseys. And because Dustin Brown is likely yeah. to be taken in the yep. expansion draft. Yeah. 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 It's, but wouldn't that be great? Lozo, I love you, man. Thank you for that. <laughs> because it was so funny that I felt like I came up with it. <laughs> Actually, Lozo, thank you for most of your ultra-cynical commentary that we don't hear from most other hockey writers because most people are turned off by it, but I have a, a sick sense of enjoyment from listening to his garbage. Yeah, I got a frowny face on somebody from, from Twitter today, too. I, there's a picture of Jeff Zakoff <laughs> lifting the cup, and he had something under his shirt, and I swear it looks like like some sagging titties, like down to his stomach. Ugh. And everyone was, you know, what is that? What is that? And I said, well, I think those are his, 
his sagging breasts that uh, Crybaby Crosby breastfeeds off of. Oh, no. <laughs> and I got some hate. And hate, it, hate, 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 hate. I don't really mean that. I mean, yeah, come you on, do. man. I'm not going to deny. Nah, you know what? Crosby generated this this crybaby reputation, but it's because everyone hated hated him for his skill set. I mean, but he I'm did, not gonna, he did whine like a bitch. There. His first three years in the league, he did whine like a bitch. But it is what it is. Yeah, but you know what? When you're that good, you probably deserve the calls. You can. I mean, the no, dude you can. Is so good. <laughs> if you're that good, you can. It's mm, fine. Yeah. It's fine. So, what do you think about uh, George McPhee as? GM. Well, you like that? Um, I'm trying to think of what the other options were. There were talks of um, maybe Don Maloney from the Coyotes, or formerly of the Coyotes, because of his deep relationship with the NHL, because the NHL uh, technically owned the Coyotes and had control over them. And I don't think that would have been a, a great situation because a guy like Don, Don Maloney had to uh, stick to an internal budget. Like back when. The NHL owned the franchise when Jim Balsilli was trying to purchase it and move it to Canada. Um, they weren't spending any money, man. You remember that? They weren't spending any money. They, they yeah, oh, yeah, they were they were on the cheap. Like everything was on the cheap, man. And um, I just don't like when you're talking about someone who needs to take some risks in an expansion draft because, like, the thing is, like, you can you can go through the expansion draft and take all the young value guys you want, but you got to hit the floor, and the floors the floor just rose, and you got to hit the floor, and so you got to have a guy with experience in signing big contracts and managing big contracts uh, to figure out what the right contracts are that's that were signed by other general managers because none of these contracts were signed by him. Obviously, it's a, and it's, it's a draft. So you got to have a guy with long-term experience with contracts and big contracts to know which contracts are right in a mix to hit the floor. Like you can't just go willy-nilly strawberry picking shit like out of the hat, you know, like you can't take like a Ryan Callahan and a Dustin Brown and a Matt Martin. Like you can't take like six guys that play the same way that are overpaid. You know what I mean? Like you got to have a strategy and a guy like a Don Maloney who was, I did hear a lot of stuff about, Based on his experience and being frugal, like he wouldn't, I don't think he would, he would do it the right way. And I think George Mc, George McPhee, even though he is the guy that fucking traded Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat, which still irks the shit out of me. Imagine the Capitals with Philip Forsberg on a rookie deal right now. That trade did happen. It was a horrible trade. It was for for Martin Erat and Michael Lotta. And to make matters even worse, uh, the Caps just opted to to let Lotta walk. So who did he sign with? Literally have uh I think he went to the Kings. Yeah. I think he went to the Kings, which is great actually. The the way that guy plays well, yeah, that, he'll fit he'll, into that bottom six he'll pretty fit well. Into that, he'll fit into what they do. That's fine, but yeah, that was a fucked up deal. But um I, I, I digressing from our, our topic point here. Um other than that, I mean George McPhee is very experienced and a lot of the capital success to this point has a lot to do with him, his work as a general manager, because when Ovi was drafted, they were in the doldrums and he did a lot of good things there. And I think a guy that's that experienced and we always talk about coaches, um, coaches that sit out for a year or two. 
and then take a job like how they are able to watch the game like globally or like you know universally like they're able to just watch a lot of games and and just not only look at teams and players but just see what the state of the game is you know what i mean and mm-hmm. so to take a guy who was very active as a general manager and he sat out for a year or two he well actually i read um and i wasn't aware of this so i'm not going to pretend like i'm dropping knowledge here um, I did read that he worked as an advisor to Garth Snow with the Islanders well, e- for the last year. Either way, he's not like a big name position with a team. So we, I mean, yeah, well, he's not in a management. Yeah, in a position. management position. So he's still he's still paying attention to the league, has eyes on the league with his experience, and you know he's able to see where the game is headed based on the salary cap moving and and like the the shift of the game. Like just a year and a half ago, we weren't talking about teams uh having a, a lackluster defense and having uh nothing but fast puck skilled or puck fast skilled puck moving people winning a cup and that's what the Pittsburgh Penguins did you know like the the game changes every year man like i can remember when we were talking about the game changing during the last lockout and the lockout before and like you you compare the game from then to like 8 years ago or now to 8 years ago it's totally different and for a guy to sit out from being as heavily involved as a direct GM. Um, I think that's probably beneficial to him because he gained some, some perspective. Cause I do think George McPhee's an intelligent guy, an intelligent GM. Like he, he's done a lot more good than bad uh, given his track record. Like that, that ERAT trade was really bad, but to his credit, they were winning president's trophy after president's trophy. And he had to do something. And at the time, Martin yeah. Ured was at the very tail of his prime, and he he thought it was good for a playoff run. And I get it. Sometimes you, sometimes you you risk shit. Like the Red Wings organization got rid of uh, Yanmark and um, uh, Matthias. What the Backman? Matthias Backman, the defenseman, um, got rid of both of those guys to the Stars for Eric Cole, who played like ten games. And Yanmark is a great prospect, great NHL player. He's he's not a prospect. He's in the NHL. And Backman is projected to be a good NHL defenseman, and we just ship both those guys off for a guy that played ten games. You know, it happens. It, it, it happens. Um, but I like the move. I think he'll be able to assemble a fair and pr- a proportionate roster at another time. Well, just as a as a as a side note, um, the ERET trade. A lot of that happened because of the fact that uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov took two more years in the KHL. When he was supposed to be on the team, then yeah, or they they at least anticipated that he would be, and I mean, we've seen what Kuznetsov's done in a couple of seasons' time. I mean, the, the kid is just absolutely ridiculous. But oh, yeah. he drafted him, he drafted Braden Holpe and Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. So I mean, to lose Philip Forsberg, yeah, it was a bad trade. Oh, I mean, there's there's the guys. Every, every there, manager, there's still more guys there. Yeah, every every manager is is guilty of. of swinging some bad deals for sure. But, I mean, what he did in Washington and the reason that I think I'm most comfortable with him taking on this new team is out of the lockout, he built a team with speed and scoring prowess that nobody in the league could keep up with. I mean, they set records. You know, they they set franchise records and became one of the highest scoring teams in NHL history. Uh, I think it was something like seven divisional championships they got. And – by all means, they should have gotten a cup or two out of that. I mean, that's the thing is everyone looks at Ovechkin. Oh, you know, great player, but doesn't have a cup. The team was built to win. And it, 
like scarily, you look at the team last year and they should have won. I mean, I realize Pittsburgh outplayed them and they deserve to win the cup. But if you look at the season as a whole, you know, uh, Jeff Merrick made the point, and I love the point, but I hate the point that, you know, why do we play playoffs? Like, why do we have a seven game series after an 82 games, you know, regular season? The best team, it's much more difficult to win and be the best in the NHL through 82 games than it is to win best out of seven in a single series round. And he's exactly right. And if you apply that logic and, you know, we're talking about European football, that's the way they operate for, for the, you know, their version of the Stanley cup. You win the championship by being the best team in the league. And there was nobody close to the Washington capitals last year yet. They don't come out with a cup and McPhee's tenure in Washington is eerily similar. His his downfall was his coaching changes and trying to change the dynamic of the team. Probably if they had kept it the way it was, they probably would have gotten one because he convinced Boudreaux to change his system. And then he went off and hired guys like Dale Hunter and Adam Oates. And it was just a shit show from, from then on out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was. But yeah, you know, it'll be cool. It's going to be cool no matter what, honestly, you know, and He'll have to take some unsavory contracts in the expansion draft, but yeah. But if, like, if you make them the right unsavory contracts, oh, for sure. And I mean, dude, it's super exciting. Um, the less money you can spend up front and still add quality players, probably the better. That's my that's my mm-hmm. opinion. Overpay yeah. the goaltending, overpay the defense, but when you break down a percentage of roster, you have twelve to fourteen forwards. So try not to overspend there. Yeah, no, good point, man. A lot of the middling contracts that we see on for, teams they're forwards. with them, like Columbus, are they're forwards. forwards. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, you brought up um, Mark Andre Fleury right there for a potential um, expansion draft goaltender being the number one in Las Vegas, which is possible. Uh, another guy that's possible is Ben Bishop. I think he'll and, be traded before that happens. Yeah, well, it was kind of it was kind of like parlaying into um, this whole Corey Conacher thing in my mind because uh, you made me aware actually of the fact that Corey Conacher is back in Tampa Bay, and we know the history there. One for one deal. What do you think about Conacher being back there? And just we don't got to get into it terribly, but what do you think about Bishop going to Vegas? You don't think so? Um, what about Bishop going to Vegas? Mm-hmm. In the expansion, um, I think he's traded before anything. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be before training camp, and it won't be before preseason. It won't. Um, Bishop will play games for the Lightning this year. Um, uh, if they get off to a hot start, and I do believe, and I this this is there's no information, nothing backing this up, but because of their situation with Bishop, um. Shit, let me see. I'm sorry. Um, let me just look real quick. I've got it up real quick. Um, yeah, Bishop's a UFA after this year, so yeah, because mm-hmm. if he's a UFA, he can't he can't be put up for expansion draft. Um, oh, is he UFA yeah, at the end of this season? Sixteen, seventeen. Oh, okay, and he's getting paid five nine fifty. Um, so yeah, that we you did bring that up, but that's not the case. Uh, 
you know, Tampa was very lucky to retain Stamkos because most people, including myself, really thought he was going to leave. And they were going to lose him for nothing. Oh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Bishop's a commodity, man. A fucking six seven goalie in the NHL who who gets to the Stanley Cup Finals, and 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 does good work. And Bishop was great in the playoffs. I, if I'm Tampa Bay and if I'm John Cooper, what I do is I give Vasilevsky more games than you really planned on the first third of the season, maybe first half of the season. I'm not saying playing like two out of every three. But like, if your thing is like, you know, play them all because there's all because of, like you brought up the last podcast because of the World Cup and what's going on. There's a lot of back to backs. Um, instead of just limiting the backup goalie to back to backs, I really think John Cooper will have pressure from management to play Vasilevsky a little more, and just to see what he's got. Even though we've seen him, man, he's played in a couple playoffs in a row, and he's a great goalie, and he's young. Yeah, he's dude. Super he's twenty one. He's twenty one years old. Dude, most most big time goalies don't hit their stride till their mid twenties. Ben Bishop's almost thirty. You ever think about that? You think about Ben Bishop as a young guy for the most part. Dude, he's twenty nine. And when you yeah. think about that, kind of blows my mind. Like if I had to think, I thought Bishop was like twenty six, twenty seven. No, he's almost thirty. And that's the well, that's that was- the exact reason why you should trade his ass, and that's why you should give Vasilevsky to starts. And you've got a guy like uh, Goodlevskis in your system who's nasty as shit. Like we saw on the Olympic stage, man, playing for uh, Latvia. He's gross. Like, yeah, Chris he's, is solid. He's good. Like, dude, if you want to, if you want to save some cap room. And and have the room to keep a Stamkos and like overpay Ryan Callahan, which they're doing. Um, get rid of that six million dollar Bishop contract, and they've dude they've got Vasilevsky. It's no mistake, dude. They just extended Vasilevsky for three point five million a year for three years after this season. That's not including this season. There's no mistake there. That's not a mistake. They they plan on him playing. Like they they don't have Bishop in their future in their plans. What are they going to do? Pay Bishop six seven million a year, which he's going to command, and he's worth it. Like what are they going to do? Pay him that, and then pay Vasilevsky three point five. Find themselves in the same situation as Dallas. Bullshit. That ain't going to happen. Yeah, it, it was actually. I, I knew it was a UFA. I just had a brain fart there. Um, that was that was the the main reason they struggled to, to move him in this, in this off season was because, you know, Calgary was real interested, but the problem is, is that Bishop was looking for, you know, an upwards of $7 million. Yeah. Like seven it, it over seven. It was going to be the equivalent of a sign and trade. It wasn't going to be a sign and trade, but he was only going to, because he has a no move clause. He was only going to accept the trade if Calgary would extend him from how, right. from what I understand. Is that, that right? I think that's what happened. Yeah, no, that's that's basically the gist of it. And, I, you know, Vasilevsky, uh, capable goaltender, there's no doubt about it, and the future in Tampa Bay, and, and Gudlevskis is, is solid as well. I think he's you know, 22 or 23 Young years old. players grow so with young players. Your team is mostly yeah. young. No, he's he's real young and, and looks real good as well. I think if you plan on moving Bishop um, – then you got to get that guy some games as well, just in case. Because Vasilevsky has had some injury bug problems early in his career, and that's a little <clears throat> disconcerting, you know, if if you're Steve Eiserman. Um But we just saw Pittsburgh win the Cup with, with Matt Murray, not Marc-Andre Fleury, and Murray's a young kid as well. Um, at the same time, 
you know, I was kind of I was kind of high on the heels of of them moving Flurry to a team like Dallas or to to a team like Calgary. But I do like the fact that they didn't do it just because they do legitimately have another chance at a cup and you don't know for certain what Matt Murray's going to do over the course of an entire season as the, you know, solidified number 1. And playing, you know, sixty plus games. Well, you don't even, you don't even know if he's so, number one. Like they might not even come out and say, yeah, he's our number one. Yeah, he got us a cup, but Flurry's the guy there. Like they it might they might well, have a one A yeah, one A one B situation to start the season. Right, but my point is, is if they move Flurry, that no, no, would I get it. no, I totally you know? get you. I totally get you, and that's why I think it's smart that they hung on to him because Murray's still on a a rookie deal. You're and that's pay, why it might not be such a bad deal to to or idea to hang on to Bishop as well because Tampa Bay is built to win and they still do have contracts to sign next year. I, so, I, I mean, get you, but if you hang on to Bishop, you lose him for nothing. They ran that risk. Yeah, with Steve I know, but no, 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 Stamkos, no, no. Okay, but the 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 point that I, I want to make that I think you're not seeing, they they ran that risk with Steve Stamkos, but they wanted to retain him. With Bishop, he's going to want too much money, and they're not going to look to retain him unless he wants six million a year. He might like they might keep him around for six million a year, and they'll have nine point five wrapped up in goaltending. But if you're Ben Bishop for as well as you've played the past couple of years, you really going to take six? He's not. No, he's that, not going to take six. That's my with. point. And Steve Eiserman is very shrewd and very intelligent. He's not going to let that happen. They're going to trade him. And if they don't, he walks for nothing. There's no way they re-sign him. Absolutely none. Mm-hmm. None. And that's why the Penguins are smart, because Fleury still has term left on his deal. As far as I know. Yeah, yeah. So you can keep him now, and it's cool, because Las Vegas might just take... I mean, I, you lose him for nothing, but you don't have any consequence of his cap hit. You know what I mean? Like, fine, you took him, and now we can keep our players. Because they have such high salary guys to deal with, like a Latang, Kessel, Crosby, Malkin, and everybody wants to talk about trade Malkin, trade Crosby. Man, that's all bullshit. Don't don't trade any of those guys. Don't don't do it. Not when you want to. Not when you finally got the cup that you needed to that, get. And you have a great chance of doing it next year. And Matt Murray, Matt Murray might not be able to handle the the eighty two game work schedule next year and keep Flurry for the whole year. Split the time. You have a great shot at winning a cup again. They did just re-sign Justin Schultz for 1.4, which I'm not a Justin Schultz fan. I don't. I think he's a giant defensive liability. But he was making like over four mil or around four mil on his last deal, and they signed him to they signed him to like a third of what his last deal was on a one year contract. So that's fine for them. That's cool. No problem there. Yeah, now the contract makes sense. I mean, you win the cup, the pieces worked. I mean, they lost a couple pieces, but Justin Schultz at one point four on a single year, it's it's not really a giant risk for them to take. No, nope. So, what do you think about Corey Conacher being back? Because that's that was kind of the 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 running joke. I think is the fact that you know it's like back when the trade was was made, it was almost like Tampa Bay didn't lose anything by acquiring bishop like the, it was one for one if i'm not mistaken no, it was and we meant to get into that and that's what the original question was but um a lot of people thought that cory conacher was an overpayment there was a lot of people in the hockey world that thought ben bishop wasn't worth cory conacher 
mm-hmm. and they were proven very wrong, <laughs> very wrong. They were, uh, but he. I dude, don't get me wrong. I loved Corey Conacher when he was playing for for Tampa in like that first quarter of the season. He was just lighting it up, and I mean, he had carried so much speed through the neutral zone and was able to bury the puck the way that he did. I mean, I didn't want to lose him. But like you rightly pointed to at the time is they've got Tyler Johnson. And I was well aware of what Ben Bishop was at the time. And to to get a goaltender like Ben Bishop, one for one for an undersized, like speedy scoring winger, it was was a great deal for Tampa Bay no matter how you sliced it. But yeah, not that you should walk away from the, the ability to acquire assets for a star player like Ben Bishop. But like when you <laughs> when you put it all together, and we talk about the Corey Conacher for Ben Bishop one for one deal, and the fact that they got him back again for what was it like five seventy five? What what was the number? Yeah, five seventy five, and he put up over a point a game in the Swiss League, which is not easy to do. No, no. So essentially, you you gave up nothing for Ben Bishop. Like it was almost it was a freebie. It was like a yeah. Like a sign-on from college. I I get it. You still want to flip that because asset. Because it's worth a should. lot. It's worth a lot. It's worth a you lot. You could get a first-round pick the day, for it. At least. You you could. But at the end of the day, if Bishop walks and they get a cup, then I think it's a it's a worthwhile risk. But that's that's the key. You got to get that cup. <laughs> yeah, you might not win the cup this year, but you did just re-sign Hedman and Stamkos to eight-year deals. So you, it's not like a football team where you think your, your your window's closing. When you sign those two franchise guys to eight-year deals, you don't think your window's just about to close. And you got you uh, RFAs coming up that you plan on re-signing and being a part of the franchise. You're probably going to sign them to at least six-year deals. Your window is not even starting to close. There's no reason to pin Bishop down and not get anything in return for him. When you honestly, as a franchise, based on the deals you're signing and are about to sign, think that you got an eight-year window. Yeah, their their biggest challenge probably would just be finding the the right suitor for him. You know, because the, as the off season comes to a close, there's going to be less teams that that need a so dude. Some and especially someone will, someone will trade for him. Well, somebody will need definitely somebody will need him. I mean, you look at the Calgary situation. I do like the fact that they got Brian Elliott. But, you know, let's face it, man. When they brought in uh, uh, Jonas Hiller, like, initially, in the, the first season. He was two, great. I, I, well, yeah, and I thought it was going to be great, you know, for a long time. But it just didn't pan out. So those situations are going to come up. I mean, you look at Carolina. I realize they just signed, re-signed Cam Ward. Um, but they haven't given Eddie Lack the, the room to – to grow and, and become a number one goaltender. And, you know, that might be a situation. Dallas might be a situation. There's a lot of potential suitors, but they're just going to have to find the right one that can sustain the contract that Ben Bishop's going to look for. And that'll, that'll kind of, I think, dictate what comes back. And if I'm weighing the options, if I'm not really getting like maximum return for a guy like Ben Bishop, I'm taking my chances and letting him go to win a cup. Cause I think the team is that good, but We've seen it happen just real quickly. The power is shifting from the west to the east. The east is going to be real tough next year, and that division is going to be really tough. I don't disagree, man. I don't disagree. So we said we wanted to bring up uh, some of the signings that have happened, mainly young players getting signed to long-term deals. Um, 
some people would say that some of these deals are overpayment. Uh, some people would say that they are potential deals where, yeah, maybe the first year or two might be overpayment and they will be worth it in the end. And then some people say that it's just way too much money in general. Um, there's a couple we won't bring up because they happened before, like the ones on the Panthers, like the Riley Smith, Vincent Trocek, and even Aaron Ekblad, even though the Ekblad contract is a monster. Um Awesome. But awesome. it's awesome. Yeah, we're not going <laughs> to talk about it. But yeah, down, down for it. That that dude's legit. That dude's the real fucking deal. So um, first one that's a bargain is, in my opinion, is is Victor Rask. Oh, that that I really like that. Um, Rask, Rask is in a good situation, man. Uh, regardless of whether Eric Stahl is there or not, Carolina is one of those teams that I do like we we dedicated uh, the the last episode we did to the Ducks, I do want to take one and dedicate it to the Canes because I think there's a lot, you know, underneath the surface that when you really break that team down and, and look at what they're doing, I like how they're building the team from the back end forward. That blue line is ridiculous. It's young. It's quick. That blue um, line is nasty. Yeah, I love that blue line. I love it. They, it was one of the best blue lines in the NHL in terms of, you know, possession and, and, um, and, uh, successful shot attempts um i don't have all the fancy stats in front of me but carolina tore it up from the back end and then they drafted to to continue that trend on so really like it they got tara vinen um they've got other young players in their system like eliash lindholm uh andre nestrasil i think he's let me get on their page okay he's on his last year but victor rask his his position in Carolina is, I mean, the ceiling, we don't know what he's going to develop into. We don't know if he's going to develop into a number one center. But I mean, if, if, if he's you're in, 23 years old like he is and you're scoring 50 points a season, so at, and that's at, the at, thing, wor- at worst, he's probably going to be a great number two and you've got him locked up at four mil until 2022. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the contract itself doesn't have um, – any stipulations in terms of, of trade limitations until uh, 2020. So, I mean, if it doesn't work out, then <laughs> it's it's a, it's a movable Let's contract. be honest. When you put up those type of numbers with a team like that, it's probably going to work out. He hasn't even hit his prime yet. He's going to be real solid for a long time. And the thing is, is he put up that point pace with not much skill around him, not much developed skill around him. So... It's all Since good. we're talking about them, um, I mean, it's great. They got Tara Vine and Victor Rask. That's a great contract, man. That's a great contract. And that's what might allow them to keep uh, Jeff Skinner, who's getting almost six mil until the end of 2019, and uh, Jordan Stahl getting paid six mil forever. You know, they took on that bad Brian Bickle contract, but he only has th- this year. All he has to do is, mm-hmm. dude, they have, they have 17 million in cap space. So what the fuck is... Brian Bickle playing for them this year at four million, nothing, and he's a big-bodied winger. He's a big-bodied guy that can give him some room. Um, oh man, I know we weren't trying to get into it, but it's the defensive situation, man. After the two the 2017-18 season, they have they have Hannafin, Slavin, Pesci, and Murphy as all RFAs. So their defense situation is great, but trying to get all those deals done is not going to be great. Yeah, but at the same time, they have they have a couple of contracts at the forward position and the goalie position 
that'll be coming up that are, are larger than, than what they need to be. And, you know, Jordan Stahl, he's only got a no trade, man. I mean, he's a player that, that might be exposed to this expansion draft. I mean, we'll get into that later because there's so many different ways of, of viewing that. Dude, I'm sitting here looking at the general manager page and, like, dude, that that defensive situation, I, I, I do not envy Ron Francis trying to re-sign all those guys, which he needs to. He shouldn't trade any of those guys. That's your whole backbone, other than Falk, who is on a sweetheart of a deal of 4.8 until 2021 or 2020. Like, that's... That's a, and he's quickly become one of the best he, offensive defensemen. He's, he's in the top, top fifteen defensemen in the NHL, hands down. And he's yeah. he's under five yeah. mil, you know, so that there you can't complain there. But you still got to have all those guys resigned. Um, I wanted to knock that that contract out quick. The Red Wings did sign, re, re-sign uh, Polkinen, and like just like a Nestrosil, just like a Ferraro. I think I think your fears are very close to mine. Is like. That's the type of guy we thought we might lose to some bullshit. You know what I mean? Um, we might lose him because we have to wave him, or he's just you know he's in some awkward position where we're gonna, he's, he he won't be around. Um, he's a great shooter, loves to shoot the puck, not afraid to shoot the puck. No, we we talked about him yeah, in, the last in the playoffs. Podcast, like when I, they were I, struggling I, the playoffs, we're like, fuck it, man, put him out there. Like just put him out there, put uh, Athanasiu out there. They're not afraid to do their thing. They're not. We just re-signed Glenn Denning. He's making for this year. He's still going to make under seven 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 hundred k, but they signed him to a four year extension at one point eight a year, which I think combined it's not that deal isn't that bad combined with the Helm deal. You're basically tying up five point five for the next. Actually, their UFAs at the same year on their deals. You're tying up five point five until 2021 into Darren Helm and Luke Lendenning, and I think that's a bad look. And at the same time, the Red Wings only have 3.3 left in cap space, and we still have to re-sign DeKaiser and Mrazek. What are your thoughts? Well, you, you, you have to, again, you have to keep in mind that expansion draft. And I think, I think Darren Helm and Luke Lendenning are both set up to be easily taken in the expansion draft because while the helm contract is you know is paying him a little bit more for a little bit longer than what he deserves um that type of salary and that type of defensive minded player might help an expansion team might might be appetizing might be appetizing yeah a hit the floor and b get some some strength in the and speed in the bottom six and term and yeah yeah, and Glenn Denning as well because he he can play that same type of game. So um, I think one of those guys is probably gone. And I think what it also signals too, maybe potentially, is the movement of Gustav Nyquist, who uh, has three years remaining, and it's not until next season that a no trade cl- kicks in. So this is our last opportunity to go ahead and try and move him. So I mean, especially when you've got. Young wingers, if they do plan on keeping Polkanen, Mantha, um, uh, that I can't think of any of them. But anyways, if they do, oh, Athanasiu, they do plan on keeping these guys long term. These are the types of players that they're going to replace. Is guys like Gustav Nyquist. Um, so if we lose a couple in expansion and then we manage to move Gustav Nyquist, who I think a lot of teams would be willing to trade for right now then I think we can get out of this real easily. But yeah, like if things stay the way that they are right now, 
beyond this season, it's troublesome. Yeah, like like I said, like <laughs> I sure. said, if if you if you add the Glen because they're UFAs the same year, the the Helm and Glendening contract, that's a little concerning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it if it remains the same, but I, I really we, honestly we, don't we, think we both it will. believe that something will happen where that di- that dynamic will shift somehow. I mean, be it whatever whatever avenue, it, it shouldn't stay that way. But it is worrisome when you look at it on paper, like I am right now. And maybe I shouldn't look at the paper. Maybe I should ha- maybe I should renounce all paper for the rest of my life. <laughs> what we do have is uh, two very young centers very young centers one much younger than the other becoming the highest played pay or highest paid player on their team on offense at a very young age and very long term deals in Mark Shifley Nathan McKinnon uh Nathan McKinnon he's only 20 and Jesus Christ he's only 20 a lot of people would say that he was compared to Crosby and he's had a little bit of an underwhelming career I would chalk that up to Colorado's management and coaching structure, which I thought was pretty good that year they made the playoffs. But if you look at the underlying numbers and uh, their production numbers, uh, full of shit. <laughs> and they're still full of shit based on some of the moves they made, like moving uh, Nick Holden to New York for no reason. It's like, well, you need defense. And there's all this talk about trading Tyson Berry, which we'll get into then. Um I don't think they're in a good situation, but they did just pay Nathan McKinnon a contract that is $6.3 million until 2023, which he's only 20, man. He's only 20. That's crazy. And then you got a guy like Mark, uh, Mark Shifley, who is already 23. Like he's got three years on McKinnon. He's going to make 6.125 through uh, 2024. And uh, like, like I said before, they're both going to be the highest paid forward on their teams. So a team like uh, Colorado, I almost said Chicago, uh, Colorado, he's he's making more than Duchesne and Landis Cog. And then in Winnipeg, Shifley's making more than, well, they don't have the same talent, but Blake Wheeler. Blake, Wheeler's, Blake Wheeler is one of my favorite underrated players in the league. Not that we're going to talk about that, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, come on, man. Where do you want to start, man? Uh, it was... It was a pretty interesting day, man. Uh, Shifley and McKinnon, you know, we, we were talking about um, Subban and Weber and Hall and Larson being traded on the same day. And then these two young, aspiring number one centers uh, got signed on the same day. And then it's, you know, like you mentioned, it's really interesting to see that not only are both of these teams making long-term commitments to young centers and, and you know, positioning them both in the salary cap Highest structure paid forwards on their teams. Right. Not, not just in the cal- salary cap structure, but also in terms of the, of the roster positioning as their number one centers for a long, long time. And then they are also both <laughs> dealing with, with defensemen that they just can't sign that by all signs are looking like really, really good defensemen. I, I guess, uh, I guess start with Mark Shifley because, um, He's a little bit older, so we'll we'll let we'll let age take over here. Uh, dude is drafted seventh overall in two thousand eleven. Had sixty one points. And speaking, yeah, and speaking of seventy one uh, games. Yeah, speaking of Adam Larson, he was drafted after Adam Larson. Let's remember that in that draft. Um, but also in that draft was Gabe Landeskog, 
who was drafted second overall behind Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So, you know, that's Mar- pretty good pretty good draft. And Mark Shifley might have the best uh best outlook there. And like I just said, man, sixty one points in seventy one games. If you prorate that to eighty two games, you had twelve games of play under the sixty one points. You're talking about a, a seventy point player. And he's in yeah. his third season in the NHL. And in the new NHL, a 70-point player in your third year, that's something you hang your hat on. And the, the Winnipeg Jets were absolutely right to give him that contract. And what you want to see from a prospect is a steady incline. In his rookie year, he played 63 games, 34 points. Second year, 82 games. He played every game, 49 points. And then he played... 11 less games and got 61 points. And if you watch Mark Scheifele play, he's a great playmaker. Like he's not the the goal scorer. He's a great playmaker. And even though he did have 29 goals, but he's a great playmaker. And that's what they need cuz Winnipeg has had a very hard time attracting free agents. But you see the steady incline right from the jump and that's what you're looking for, right? Am I right? Yeah, you are. The one thing about Shifley's 2015-16 campaign is that he did shoot well above his shooting percentage, his average shooting percentage. He shot at 14.9, where his average is 12.2. And 11 of his goals, 11 of his 29 goals, came just in the month of March. There was that stretch where Shifley was just, you couldn't touch. It was like Braden Shen last year. There was that stretch where it was like, wow, you know, this, this guy is on fire. And it happened when Brian Little went down. And Mark Shifley became that number one center. In fact, uh, I'm not going to get into these guys, but we saw a very similar tra- trajectory with um, Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. I see that. As well as Mark Shifley, as well as Braden Shen, where they, they got positioned into you know a number one spot against some elite-level talent. And what do you know? You've got, a, you've got a potential number one center. And I think Mark Shifley does fit that bill, especially in Winnipeg. I mean, he's, what I like about Shifley is he's he's a really crafty player, really solid playmaker, like you said. Not as much of, of the goal scorer, I think, as he displayed last season. He did season. score 29. Maybe he could score more. He did, but but like I said, like he, his PDO was running a little high. His shooting percentage was running a little high. You know, it, I'm not expecting 30 goals from him, you know, for the next uh, eight years. But here's the thing with here's the thing with Mark Shifley. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to. Because Mark Shifley's got a whole cast of like potential elite level wingers to distribute the puck like to. Like Wheeler, Patrick Line. Yes. Yeah. Man. Nikolai Ehlers. Nikolai Ehlers, goddamn. Kyle Connor. Yeah, dude. They've got the guys. They've got the guys there. Matthew Perot is another guy that can jump up into the top six as well. Yeah, Matthew Perot isn't he? A, he's a center, but he can play wing. Yeah, yeah, and he did play wing quite a bit last season. But the, just Line, Ehlers, and Connor, those three kids, even if just one or two of them hit, and I kind of have a feeling like all three of them are going to. Yeah, hit. and they're they're better skaters, and they're not Lad. I know they lost Lad on the wing. But these are kids that can skate. These are kids that can can create the offense. Lad's not known for that, mm-hmm. and that that's a change of pace well, in Winnipeg. Like they they're gonna have some exciting young wingers, man. And Mark Shifley is gonna be a big part of that. Well, like you alluded to too, um, Wheeler 
he's developed into a leg- legitimate star. I mean, he tied for fifth in the scoring race last season. Yeah, so. he's twenty nine. So he's like you can you can debate that he probably has a good maybe five six good years left in him before mm-hmm. he starts to decline. Like maybe even four four to five. He either way in Winnipeg he's got he's got a nice uh, handful of years left in him before he declines. Yeah, and to your point, underrated too, player. You know when. Yeah, when when Little went down, and he, and he became the definitive definitive number one in Winnipeg, you know he saw a lot more time with Andrew Ladd and Blake Wheeler, but I, I think you can leave Blake Wheeler there and plug in one of these three young kids, and the shit's going to be just fine. Well, yeah, and it, after that, a guy like Patrick Laine who played in a pro league in in Finland, like he knows what it what it is to play in the pros, played in the World Juniors, played in the World Championships, all of it. Line might be like one of the most disgusting pure goal scorers we've seen come into the league in quite some time. Like I'm, I'm pretty excited about Patrick Line, and I know he's built a lot oh, of that yeah. up for himself. But just, just look, man. The the proof is in the numbers, and I think next to a next to a guy like Mark Shifley, I mean, who second to that top line down that stretch after Little's injury, he spent the majority of his season with Matthew Perot and Nikolai Ehlers. You're talking about a rookie and a guy that's kind of been bounced around in the top nine wherever he's played. And don't get me wrong, I love Matthew Perot. I think he's, he's a very he's a, again one of those severely underrated he's a, players. He's a good but, Swiss Army knife guy, a guy that can play in your top nine at, at worst and at in your top six if you really need him to. But he can be effective either way. He's very skilled. Yeah, and this this cap hit that doesn't go like above and beyond that that cap number that really kind of cripples the rest of your roster it allows Winnipeg to pick and choose out of these young upcoming wingers who they're going to bring up and who they're going to sign long term and plug in next to Mark Shifley and it's going to allow them to get them on you know friendly team deals and dominate for a long time like that top six in Winnipeg is I'm really really excited about that like I, I think if they can shore up a little bit of you know a little bit of that defensive uh, mobility, Winnipeg, and perhaps the goaltending situation. Winnipeg could be a playoff team as soon as this coming season. And one one more aspect. Sorry, to, sorry to cut you off there. One more aspect too is every not every single team in the league can have a legit like number one center. And we look. I mean, look around the league just last year, man. Like. I realize David Backes didn't finish the season as the, the number one center, but for a long time, Backes is one of those guys that was plugged in as a number one center, and you always looked at it and you said, you know, I love David Backes, but he's probably not a number one center. Look at Tyler Bozak. You love Tyler Bozak. He's probably not a number one center. And then the, the same can be said for Brian Little, you know? So if you can't acquire that true legit number one center that elite level number one center if you're playing the 1a 1b card little and shifley is solid man the fact that line is coming on as a winger and they've they've got other guys in the depth chart like a guy like ehlers uh he wasn't expected to be explosive this past year but he was expected to be they expected him to be a good power forward um, I think he's going to settle into a nice role there. You know what I mean? Like where he's not going to have the spotlight on him. So at the end of the day, I think we both agree the Shifley signing, pretty good. Pretty good shit. Uh, 
the the Avalanche drafts Gabe Landeskog second overall to uh, I'm sorry in in Shifley's draft year, uh, second behind Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and quickly establish him as the NHL's youngest coach or um, coach <laughs> captain in in league history. Nathan McKinnon comes in first overall with all of these expectations to kind of save the franchise. And it's a franchise that really shouldn't have been in a position where they needed saving by that time. Because back in 06, 07, the Avs, and this is a lot coming from a Wings fan, were one of my favorite teams to watch. And we had a, we had a downstairs neighbor, Pete. And, you know, Pete's, Pete's our good buddy, um, diehard Avs fan. And... I'd go down there and, and we'd go down there and we'd watch Avs games with him and it was exciting. And then quickly that management group turned that team upside down and started losing valuable assets for nothing, making the wrong moves. And Patrick Wall coming in, you're right, man. Joe Sackett coming in. Something's just not right with that. It, it was it was good. It, it was good at first. It was great at first. When they brought they brought Sackick in as like the VP of hockey operations, like he wasn't the general manager yet, and Patrick Waugh in his first year, he got into near fights on the bench, and like it, it was good, and they made the playoffs, it like it was good. But any analytics darling, any anybody on Twitter that you follow for hockey analytics would tell you at the time and still that they completely overachieved, and they predicted that the next year there'd be a fall off, and I totally bought into that. And what happened? they fell off a cliff the following year, mm-hmm. which would explain Nate McKinnon's second season where he only had 38 points, which was very disappointing. But what I was trying to get into with you, which I did say before he started talking, was compare him to Shifley, not in the draft year, not that, but just the progression and the points and the uh, the team situation. Like It looks like Shifley's on a way better path than McKinnon and I love McKinnon don't get me wrong you watch that guy play he plays really hard he's got big legs he can skate real hard he forechecks hard I got no problem with McKinnon my problem is not with McKinnon but based on the money the fact he got more than Shifley like compare the two players I want to hear your insight on that well I think it I think it comes I think it comes right back around to usage and you know Nathan McKinnon difference between Mark Shifley and Nathan McKinnon in terms of, of their position within their own team is stability. And McKinnon hasn't had any linemate stability in his entire career. And last season, he's a member of four out of six of Colorado's most point productive line combinations at even strength. And they bounced him around. He got in Patrick Waugh's doghouse way too many times. And at times he's playing third line center, you know? And I mean, Nathan McKinnon isn't, that type of player. You know, we, we talk about players uh, in the American Hockey League or prospects coming up that are, you know, natural top six players. Let's say a top uh, top line right winger. If you take that top line right winger and you plug him into your NHL fourth line on the right wing. It's dog shit. Of course, you're not going to happen. You're not going to get that type of production. No, not going to happen. And not going to happen. The kid came in. He was sheltered a bit uh, and won the Calder in his rookie season, and he, he did everything that was expected of him. And once again, that's something that we see commonly with rookie players. They come in amped, 
excited. Nobody really has a book on them. They're in the best shape of their lives. They're prepared to play at the net in the National Hockey League. They come in and they light it up. And most to your of them, point, I know well, I cut most, you off, but to your point, mm-hmm. in, in McKinnon's rookie year, he had ten points in seven playoff games. So he was on fire. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not meaning to cut you off or like uh, digress from your point. Just saying, yeah, he he tore it up in the playoffs too. It wasn't just a regular season thing or just you know he's you know in whatever position, but he tore it up in the playoffs. But that's too. what separated him. That's what separated him from guys like Nick Ehlers that we just spoke of, who came into the league flying, scored. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, and I'm not going to look them up, but he scored. You know let's say 10 points in his first 14 games. I mean, he was just disgusting. And then he dropped off a cliff. Dylan Larkin, same deal. He looked great in the first quarter of the season, and then he slowly started that decline. Nathan McKinnon kept that up on a bad team in his rookie season and absolutely blew it up. Nathan McKinnon, he he shot at a 10% clip in his rookie season. League average was 8.89. Yeah. He shot 7.3 in his sophomore season. And the league average was 8.9. So, I mean, his shooting percentage was way, way down. And he tried to shelter him. And he just he didn't get him out against the, the right players. Um, and furthermore, he didn't get him out with the right players. And uh, we've seen him mismanage Matt Duchesne. And, I mean, when Matt Duchesne was given the reins last season, Duchesne had stretches of excellence. And that's a player that they've been contemplating moving this whole time. So, I mean, how much better could Matt Duchesne have been? to this juncture in his career. Yeah. No, you make, you make a great point, man. And um, one one stat that speaks to me is um, in, in, in McKinnon's first year, he played 82 games. He had 26 penalty minutes. He played 64 games in his second season due to injury, and he had close to 40 penalty minutes. Like, And that speaks to uh, trying too hard being frustrated and all that. So that was probably just a bad season for him. He took he took a lot more penalties too cuz he was just pissed off. Mm-hmm. And just not happy with the situation. And that a lot of that has to do with like how uh why managed the matchups and some of the best coaches in the in the NHL, they they know who to put on the ice when. And McKinnon was cast at that. And I remember when he was drafted, he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start him on the third line and bring him up." That was the that was the conversation. It's like, no, man, like you need to get the kid ice time. He needs to get acclimated to the NHL game, to the NHL speed, and playing with high quality players. That 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 was your point a little bit ago, right? Is who they're playing with. You need mm-hmm. to be acclimated to playing with NHL players that are very good, top six worthy players. And that's what you, you spoke to uh, when I asked you to speak to Mark Scheifele's growth. That's what you said, that he was playing with those players. And look at look at Mark Scheifele's hockey DB. Look at it. It shows every year he's gained exponentially better stats. You know? Yeah. When you're given a when you're given a severe lack of depth and in scoring options as a playmaking center, of course your production is going to dip. But here's one interesting thing too about Nathan McKinnon. Colorado is known to be a terrible possession team. We've known this. Everyone has known this. Well, throughout his career, his short career with the Avalanche, Nathan McKinnon still leads the team in five on five score adjusted Corsi. Because he's that good. He's been their, he's that good. He's been their best. He's been their best possession player. Even strength. Even strength. Year. Yeah. 
And that speaks to how good of a player he is. And that speaks to, uh, like, like I said, before we started the, the, the Colorado conversation is that from management down, they're not managing the team. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. McKinnon, McKinnon is not a third line center, man. Yeah. No. And, and the, the, during the stretches where Matt Duchesne was dominant last year, he was Patrick Wall was loading up Gabriel Landeskog, Matt Duchesne, and Nathan McKinnon on the top line. And I mean, come on, it's hard not to score at that point. But somebody's got to get those primary points. And just because Nathan McKinnon didn't doesn't mean that he's he's not a, a superstar caliber player. And I mean, he, he hasn't benefited from a from a number one center. I mean, look what happened, man. They they moved Paul Stastny. They lost Ryan O'Reilly. Imagine I mean, if they had dude, those after, guys still. I know. And after after Landeskog and Duchesne, his most common line mates over over the three last three years were O'Reilly and Tangay. And neither one of them are on the team anymore. Yeah, and if I'm Colorado, like one of those one of those aforementioned guys you that that you brought up, they they should have kept one of them. They should have kept one of them. And one trade I didn't like was the O'Reilly trade because I am not a big believer in uh, Nikita Zadorov. I think he's a fuck. That's just I'm sorry, just gotta say that. No, and O'Reilly proved, you know, what type of player he was. He was he was I think he was the best faceoff guy in the league last season and he blew it up in Buffalo. Let's uh one more thing that I want you to do. It's it's a little a little exercise, man. You're I assume you're by your computer. Kegels? You want me to do Kegels? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh I want you to go to ownthepuck.blogspot. You're familiar with this page. Okay. And if you're not, guys, you you should be. All right, so this is where you can compare players and you can look at uh, all the fancy stats that you need to know. First (coughs) assist, you know, goals per 60, possession numbers, um, shot generation, shot suppression, all that important stuff. And at the very top, it tells you, according to its, its metrics, what that player is defined as being, right? So... Go to compare, and I want you to compare uh, 2015, 2016 for both of them, Mark Shifley versus Nathan McKinnon, and just tell me what you see. Don't read them all, but just the gist of it. On the puck dot blog spot, it's the hero charts. Yeah, hero charts. So I see hero what, charts. I hear it. I see it. Click here to use hero yeah, charts. So we're just, we're just going to compare Shifley to McKinnon for the 2015-2016 season. And I, I do encourage you listeners, if you're able to, to go ahead and do this. And um, I will say, I, I, I took this from uh, at Andrew Berkshire on Twitter. He posted this up, and I loved it. I, I use the hero charts all the time, but he made a really valid point, and I do want to pass um, the the – you know, give props to, to Berkshire for making this post. And that's one thing that I really want to try to make it a point to do is, you know, I when I'm looking up this stuff and we're preparing to talk about players, I gather my information from a lot of different sources. And there's a lot of great writers, a lot of great p- people on Twitter. We, we do a good job of, you know, giving props to our podcast guys that we listen to. But um, I do want to give props to, to all these people that write these great articles and dig out these stats for us to talk about. So you got... You got that up? Well, yeah. I see your fucking point. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. Mark Scheifele Mark, Mark in goal-scoring, playmaking, and production, he is, I would say, easily a quarter better on those metrics. And uh, 
you could say on the bottom half of advanced staffs, the shot generation and possession, McKinnon's better. Okay, now what I want you to do, there's a there's a point there's a point to having you do all this. What I want you to do is adjust next to Mark Shifley's name the season to 2014. Okay. And Nathan McKinnon was way better and everything. And his shot generation was off the charts. Off the charts. Now, do you do you know what we're looking at? We're looking at two players playing at age 20. And that is the point, is that, yes, Mark Shifley has outplayed Nathan McKinnon on a lot of these metrics, but what we're, what, what a lot of people are not taking into account is his age. And when you adjust Mark Shifley's age to the age that Nathan McKinnon is in this most recent season, you'll see clearly that Nathan McKinnon absolutely destroys him. And so Nathan McKinnon might actually be that elite level number one center in the making. And this contract is wonderful for the Avs. All they have to do is not F up the entire rest of the roster and they might have their man. Yeah. No, I I totally see that. I have not looked at these metrics and I, I totally see what you're saying. How awesome is that? <laughs> so the, the beauty of both of these contracts is simply the fact that these are two extremely young players capable of playing the number one center spot. Maybe even arguably for, for different reasons. Shifley with the, the skill that he has to his wing and McKinnon potentially being able to carry the, the workload on his own. But they're both signed long-term at good value through their prime, which neither of them, in my opinion, have even hit yet. So w- good job on both these organizations. I like both the deals. I'd be hard pressed to pick one or the other, um, but if I'm if I'm making that particular adjustment, I might lean towards Nathan McKinnon. But Shively's not a bad cat to have. What we wanted to get into is the RFA defenseman, and the other thing that both these teams have in common is that uh, the Jets have Jacob Truba, and the Avalanche have have uh, Tyson Berry. There's been a lot of trade talk on both, more so on Tyson Berry's end. Uh, who knows what's going to happen there? I mean, we, we've already talked about the cap space. Each team has eight or less in cap space. So uh, what what are your thoughts with those defensemen? You can start with one. You can, you know, talk about both or start with one. Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts there? Ooh, these, these are both contracts that need to be signed. Um, let's, let's start with Tyson Berry because um, – because Colorado is in a pickle, they don't have the the roster set up the way that Winnipeg does long term, and they don't have as many pieces inside of the organization that are going to carry that team to long term success. They're they're riding a little too heavily on guys like Landeskog and Duchesne and McKinnon, you know, so on as uh, Miko Rantanen. I mean, they, they do have players, but. Tyson Berry is like by far and away their their best piece on the blue line. And we saw what happened with Ryan O'Reilly when he went to arbitration and it wasn't pretty. And that was the beginning to the end of Ryan O'Reilly's position within within uh, Colorado. And we might be seeing the same thing with Tyson Berry. So, I mean, what do you think... I mean, Barry's 25, 
kind of a smaller framed offensive defenseman, power play quarterback, like really, really solid player. But I mean, what do you think the asking price is going to be from the Barry camp? I mean, are we looking at like a, like a Yandel deal or, or are we looking at like, you know, a medium, like a Klingberg or a Falk deal? I mean, what's Klingberg's value to you? It's all about internal cap and it's all, uh, not internal cap, but internal, uh, ceiling. Uh, like you just saw the, the, uh, Tampa Bay lightning sign Steve Stamkos to what they did. And then they got Hedman under contract for under Stamkos's deal, which if you look at the Hedman contract, you're like, wow, that's not necessarily a bargain, but it's a, it's a sweet deal. You know, d- did you not agree? Oh, for Hedman? I think it's a killer. Yeah, exactly. Deal. That's my point. But they were able to sign that deal because of the uh, the precedent they set with the uh, Stamkos deal. You know what I mean? So I don't mean internal cap like, you know, like their owner says, hey, we're not going to spend abo- above this dollar amount. It's not a true internal cap, but you set a cap with your best player, you know. And just and we're Red Wings fans. We knew that. Like, we know what that is. Like uh, for the longest time, nobody was going to make more than uh, Nikki Lidstrom. Based on what what uh, the Colorado Avalanche have going on, um, shit. I just had that shit up. Yeah. Um, they don't have. They, they actually have. Other than Tyson Berry, they've got uh, seven defensemen under contract. They do have uh, Francois Beauchemin at four point five. And the killer is this is I'm going somewhere with this. Um, they have Eric Johnson until 2023 at six million a year, man. And I like Eric Johnson. I think he's a very valuable defenseman. And uh, that's where the cap is set for uh, the Avalanche. And they have uh, McKinnon as their top paid forward um, at six point three. So Tyson Berry, like I mean you could you could debate all you want, but I would I would gladly say that Barry is a better defenseman than Eric Johnson. What do you what do you think? In terms of point production he is and like the the way that the NHL is trending, you know, it's it's a copycat league. We discuss this every year when, when a team wins the cup, teams quickly try to build their roster to, to compete like, you know, the former champions. Um, so let's look at Tyson Berry's skill set. He can, he can skate to the puck, you know, check. He can retrieve the puck. That's a check. He can move the puck. And he can move the puck. He can move the puck out of his own zone. So it's like, you know, one, two, three, he can do everything offensively. I mean, Eric Johnson and Francois Beauchemin as a pairing, as a defensive shutdown pairing is awesome i i have to say i love that pairing and i think this all once again gets circled around back to patrick waugh and like you have to wonder if waugh is getting the most out of tyson berry if he's getting the most out of his whole roster because when your top shutdown pairing is johnson and boshaman you can't ask for a whole lot more especially especially from a team that's in a position that they're in that's not bad no. so i mean if perry <clears throat> If Barry's a second pairing offensive defenseman, like I kind of, I kind of look at him like a in the mold of a Tory Krug, who's you know uh, younger, but okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go well, ahead, no, go ahead, go ahead. He's he's younger, but the strength of his game is his offense, not his defense, and that's I think that's a fair assessment of of Tyson uh, Barry. I, I don't. You think Tyson Barry's 
a stronger de- defensive defenseman than their top defensive no, pairing. No, I'm, 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 t- I'm talking about compared to Tory Krug. I was just looking at the offense. I mean, he's a better offensive defenseman. Don't get me wrong. He's in, in the his three year average over over the last three seasons, all situations. Um, I'm looking at hockey dot analysis. Um, all situations, defenseman over three thousand minutes. In first assists, he's 14th in the NHL. In goals, he's 8th. And in points, this is all per 60. In points, he's 5th. That's a three-year average, all defensemen over 3,000 minutes. Those those are all, you know, regularly, yeah, top five in, in points per 60, even strength, all situations. Oh, I'm sorry, not even strength, but all situations. Mm-hmm. He's not the best Corsi player in the league. He's he's not very good in possession, but neither is Colorado. And regardless of his defensive capabilities, let's just take that out of the equation for a second. Let's just zero in on that. And you have to ask yourself, you know, can Colorado really afford to lose him? No, not at all. Don't think they can. Like, do you pay him more than Johnson? Because honestly, if I'm that GM, I think Barry's probably your most valuable defenseman all around. I I know you just talked about the uh, shutdown pair of Boschman, Johnson, all that, but like uh, Barry's probably your most valuable defenseman. And what, what are you going to pay for that? If Johnson's making six, man, I got to say Barry is well within his right to ask for 6.5. Yeah. And as that management group, and you should do have to have learned from something from, from O'Reilly, from that whole, from that whole travesty, you have to have learned how to handle a, a, a star player, and you can't let this, you can't let that, you know, probably one point five million dollars that they're arguing over, because I, I don't really see Colorado having a problem giving the man five or five and a half, but it's probably that one one point five million dollars that that is the the issue here between Barry's camp and Colorado. You just have to. You just have to make that deal. You just have to get it done. Because I tell you what, man, if they piss him off in arbitration and they don't get him what he deserves or it becomes as uncomfortable as that O'Reilly situation was, they're going to lose Barry. So a deal has to get done. And um, the same, I think, can be said for Jake Truba uh, I, in Winnipeg. I, I've, got, I've got my thoughts on that. All right, let's hear. <laughs> I know you didn't like that, but their contract situation on defense is a lot different. It, it the like we said, you can talk about the player all you want or uh, examine player versus player, but the team cap structure and what's going on is a lot different. With when like with like I said with uh, Colorado, you got Eric Johnson at six, Boschman at four point five, and then Tootin at two. Jelen at 1.5, and then, you know, down the line. So at that point, uh, before signing Barry, there's not a lot of money con- committed to defense. You know what I'm saying? But when you're mm-hmm. talking about the Jets, you got 7.6 committed to Bufflin. You got 5.7 committed to Enstrom. And you got 5.5 committed to Myers. And then the overpayment here is you got 2.7 committed to Mark Stewart. So they've mm-hmm. got a lot of money tied up in defense. And I get that they just let Lad walk. I get that. And you got Line A on an entry-level deal and Ehlers on an entry-level deal. I get all that. But they've already got 
you know, if you round up like eight million six, that's fourteen. Uh, nineteen five. You've got twenty one mil. Uh, tied up in defenseman for next year without Jacob Truba, and you could if 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 you're Jacob Truba's camp, you probably think maybe you you shouldn't be paid more than Dustin Bufflin, but you there's an argument to be made that you could you could ask for more than what Enstrom's getting. Yeah, that's that's a very valid point. Uh, I just pulled up Winnipeg's general manager. Um, Enstrom has a no move, so he's there. I do think, though, I do think that that Tyler Myers might be exposed in this expansion. Well, yeah, you and that could happen. I'm just saying, based on like you have to sign him for this upcoming season. You have mm-hmm. to sign Truba for this upcoming season, and there's only eight million in cap space, so. I'm not basing it on the expansion situation. Well, the only reason I bring that up is because um, the Jets drafted Logan Stanley, who size and, that, and a abilities. A lot of people shitted on that pick. But he could, I mean, do you not see him as a as a like a valid replacement for Tyler Myers in terms of size and, and no, I don't. Potential. A lot of people that I trust in the draft process said that that was a overpayment. That was a, that was a reach. Like he might not be that great of an NHL player. Yeah. I mean, you can he, say that for can, any, of no, guys, no, you but, can, but like a, a, a bit, a, a great comparable that I heard was that he might come along as slow as uh, Jamie Alexiak did for the stars. Cause when Alexiak was, drafted by the stars, he was expected to come in within a year or two and do something. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't. And I, I get that they just signed him to a one way deal for next season, but he's been drafted for four years. Yeah. All right. So we've kind of established that we think Tyson Berry is worth between six and six and a half. Looking at, um, the hockey abstract by Rob Volman, he's got the player usage charts available and you can see, which players, you know, log the tougher minutes, higher quality of competition versus uh, 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 zone starts. Um, I'm sorry, sidetracking here. Uh, but Truba, through all of it, has played tougher minutes than Barry, like by a large margin. He's got better Corsi numbers than Tyson Barry, um, and he's played a much, much higher quality of competition. He's not putting up the points expected of him. And that's the big knock on him. But dude, Barry's 25, Jake Troop is 22. Like he's a big frame, strong shutdown player with like an incredibly high ceiling. And I mean, we just saw what a guy like Adam Larson uh fetched in in trade for Taylor Hall. Like Jacob Truba is just at the beginning of of his down Okay, years. so, like, Jake so Truba could, if you're Edmonton, would you rather have Adam Larson or Jacob Truba? Well, Truba, like like um, Travis Hamanick, was one of those guys rumored to potentially be going to Edmonton in a deal. They didn't outline Taylor Hall, but you remember the conversation, you know. So that didn't happen. But like, here's Winnipeg dealing with this potentially like you know number one defenseman because I I love me some big buff dude. But Dustin Bufflin is awesome. But long term success like Jacob Truba might be the man. And here they are at a crossroads 
Truba, you know, like every one of these other young defensemen, it, that's the that's the theme of the of the year. Is everyone skipping the bridge deal? They're going for the seven year contract. Um, you know, I'm sure this is what Truba is looking for. He's looking for big money long term, and Winnipeg's just not giving in. But I mean, when I compare these two players, it's deserved. And Tyson Berry, like for what a defenseman is and the ceiling that they have, I think Truba might be the better of the pair. And I, I can't say that with certainty because Barry's proven to be a top five offensive player in this league from the blue line. But Jacob Truba is is really handling the the, the tough minutes. Um and I mean you look at you look at how Barry was has been used, especially in 2000, 2013 and 2014, Barry was sheltered, like big time sheltered, like Shane Goss's bear sheltered. So if Barry's worth six to six and a half, like what is Truba worth and how important is this guy to this organization? I got a hot take for you, man. Okay. We All about hot takes. Mentioned it. We mentioned it before. Um, I, I think I think I'm prepared to close out on this statement, and then if you have anything else to add, I'm sure you'll have a response. But we mentioned it before. In some capacity, Winnipeg is looking really, really good on the wing. In terms of youth, the goaltending future looks great with Hellebuck and. Uh, was it Comrie down there in the Well, American they have Hockey Hutchinson, League? and then they have uh, Eric Comrie. Yeah, yeah, it's Eric Comrie, Connor Hellbuck, and and which Hutchinson, I'm sure, was signed so that they could expose him at the expansion. I don't think he'll actually be taken, but Pavlik's on his last year. But they don't want to lose Comrie or Hellebuck to that expansion. But that's that's besides the point. What's the one problem with Winnipeg's defense? Ooh, what do you mean? What's the one one problem? Um, okay, I'll no, tell you no, what. No, no. I, I think are, are it you going to let me answer the fucking question, or are you going <laughs> to? Yeah, sure, man. Sure. Jeez, jeez. Well, let's we'll see. They got Bufflin. <laughs> they got Enstrom. They got Myers. They got Stewart. Ooh, Stewart's a very good player. Um, Paul Postma, good third pairing guy, seventh guy. Other than too much money, what's the problem? Speed. Yeah, we talked about that in another podcast. But honestly, that's hard to argue. Like, I know we talked about that, and I know you're saying that now. But when you, like, Enstrom can skate, Myers can skate, Myers can fly, and then Jacob Trouba can skate. Like, then where's the problem? You got three out of six guys that can skate. Those three guys can skate. Uh but I get what you're saying. They don't have a Latang type. They don't have a guy that has like wheels. Mm-hmm. But they do have guys that can skate on every pairing. Maybe not like but fly, com- but comparatively speaking, like they're not the fastest. Blue no, line. like if but there was no, anything no, no, that you were going to upgrade on that but, blue line, it's but speed. there are other blue lines that are worse in the speed department. Mm-hmm. Because right, so en- en- that's all. En- that, why do you think Enstrom's getting five point seven a year? Who the like, dude? Who the fuck ever talks about Toby Enstrom ever for anything? Oh, when when he's healthy, he can skate for yeah, sure. Yeah, but he's getting paid almost six million dollars a year. So there's a reason for that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's a reason for that. It's because he can skate. 
And then you got Tyler Myers, who's like fucking 6'5", and he can skate. He can skate. And Jacob Truba is the same thing. Not the most majestic. No, he can. He's he's an above average skater. And there are defenses that don't have that. So. All right. Well, if if I if I personally have one problem with with their blue line, it's mobility and foot speed. I don't I don't think Um, it's as bad as you think it is. But I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't think it's egregious, but if you're if you're looking to upgrade a team that like yeah, they, they very could, potentially they could use in the next a, they could use years. an upgrade, but I I don't think it's as bad as you're making it out to be. That's my opinion. Okay, so in Colorado, what is the biggest problem in their defensive groupings? Eric Johnson, he's a big guy and he's decently mobile, but this isn't like what Winnipeg we're talking about. Like Johnson's not that mobile. They don't have any speed. The only guy they have with that is Tyson Berry. And that's mm-hmm. why they more so need to keep Tyson Berry than Winnipeg with uh, Truba because Winnipeg does have, uh, contrary to what you said, Winnipeg does have guys that can skate, but Colorado, absolutely not. They do not have mobile defensemen. All right, so mobility is an issue and puck distri- distribution uh, or transition out of their own zone is a real big issue. I mean, you go down the list. Their possession numbers are awful, like awfully off the charts awful, right? Like as a, as a, as a defensive group, it's not good. I mean, Colorado's last in the league in possession numbers last season, right? Okay. Okay. So here's here's my hot take. Both these teams are having a tough time signing these guys. Mm-hmm. Both these guys are incredibly skilled players. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. We've seen Jones for Johansson, Weber for Subban, and Hall for Larson in recent memory. Yep. What about what about swapping these guys? Uh, I don't like it. No. <laughs> no. No. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because you, uh, based on what you just brought up, uh, Colorado needs more help in the uh, skating department. Is that not what you said? Yeah, that's one of the no, things. No, no, no. Basically, and then what I said. Uh, Winnipeg does have guys that can skate. You got Enstrom. Tyler Myers can skate. Enstrom can, st- can skate. Even Paul Posma, even though he's you know not been an NHL regular, he can skate. Um, the Avalanche, they don't have guys that can skate. We just talked about that. So if you swap them out, you're talking about Trubo for Barry. Barry's the better skater. I'm saying skater. Skater. Just pure speed. Mm-hmm. Pure speed. And offensive ability, Tyson Berry is a better player. And so if you're Colorado and you make that deal, you just brought in another guy who is a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, but doesn't skate as well as Tyson Berry did. And it, but, it, but still skates exceptionally well. No, no, well. no. I didn't say he didn't. I, I never said he didn't. I'm saying compared to Tyson Berry. And you just said, what would you think about a trade? Now, if you're Winnipeg, Oh, fuck yeah. If I'm Winnipeg, I make that deal. But for Colorado, that's a bad trade. It's a really bad trade because Tyson Berry, man, just like you said, he's top five in offensive ability in, in the NHL. Like he, he man, I I don't understand how someone hadn't trade for his rights already. That that that's where I'm at with Tyson Berry. Like there's a lot of Or offer sheeted him. Yeah, or offer sheeted him. Like that should have happened. That that should have happened. Like, offer sheet him at, like, five mil. You know what I mean? It might cost you, like, a second and a third round pick or 
or a first and third or whatever the hell the the payment is. Like I'd have done it. I'd have done it. Because mm-hmm. because because I, be, I because like if it. he if he accepts, then you got him. <laughs> then you then you have him. You know, like I'd give up a first and a third and whatever for Tyson Berry. That's fine. But uh, as far as the two teams are concerned, bad deal for Colorado because you don't get faster. Like I get that you like the trade, but the trade's way better for for Winnipeg. For Colorado, you don't get faster. And and but you, but, you do. But you don't need to get bigger. You already got Boschman and, and Johnson. You don't need to get bigger. And true, well, Boschman's old. Although I do no, love him. He yeah, is but old. he's on a multi-year deal, and he's very effective. And and Truba is a big dude. You know, he's he's a he's a big kid. And Barry's not known for being a big kid. Barry's a skater. If you're Colorado, what do you like about the trade? Because if if I'm Colorado, I don't like shit about that trade. Nothing. Because Truba can can move the puck effectively, not as, not as well as Barry. And he's well, no, I didn't say that. He he can move the puck effectively, and he's much more responsible in his own zone than Tyson Barry. I, I, and and you, you and can point to analytics, and, hey, but I don't think hey, and he's got three years on Tyson Barry. So look, man, I tend to I tend to like the offense that that Barry provides as a top five scoring defenseman, and I and I get that upside. Yeah, but just as you're talking about Nathan McKinnon and his usage, what does that say to the mm. what does that say to the Avalanche? Yeah, no, that's a fair point. The Avalanche aren't using their players as they should be to begin with. We'll see, man. We'll see. It's interesting. I, I really like the the fact that these two teams got those centers locked up long term. Uh, they're going to be great for a long, long time. It's going to be real interesting to see what happens with these two defensemen. I hope they can stick it out because both these teams need these guys. And if they fumble here, then they're they're missing on a on a great defenseman for a long, long time. So we'll see. We'll see. But I just, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked if Colorado fumbles on Barry, given what they've done with some of their other star players in recent years. But maybe there's, maybe there's hope for you avalanche fans, given the fact that McKinnon's locked up long-term. Uh, you got, you, you got anything else for, 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 for the people, man, you got anything else? That's it. That's it. We'll see what happens with McKinnon and Shifley um, com- uh, just relative to a couple other young rising star centers like Sean Monahan, for example. But uh, like you said, as these signings happen, we'll we'll dig into them. We'll get into some team talk, um, and we'll, we'll carry you through the summer. Word, man. Um, what we do plan on, other than like uh, the other podcasts out there that take a hiatus over the summer— we're trying to grow our brand. Brand, that's what it is, a brand. Don't take that as a uh, cocky comment. We are trying to grow a brand. Um, we're, we plan on pumping out a lot of content uh, this summer, right, Kendall? Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Tell them. Say lots of content. Lots of content. <laughs> no, we do. We No, no, seriously, seriously, we do. We plan on pumping out a lot of content this summer because the other podcasts aren't, and not to compare ourselves, but, you know, that's what we want to do. We want to make ourselves memorable, uh, give you a good first impression, because this is a good opportunity for us for uh, you to check us out while we don't have competition. So um, we will be all summer, and a lot of it's going to be uh, team-centric because we're nerds like that. 
salary cap stuff and, you know, what teams have done. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to hit you back soon. Uh, um, like I said, we didn't, we didn't release that, uh, HL fighting podcast yet. That'll be coming in the next couple of days. And then, uh, beyond that, we're going to start the team stuff. And even if Kendall's in the Greek, we're going to start that. So, uh, we'll talk to you later. Say bye, Kendall. Say bye. <laughs> no. Hey, real quick. Um, you want to pick a team? Our next team to talk about? Ne- one or two you got? Well, are you trying to do a, a one-team podcast or uh, two teams for one podcast? I don't know. Give me two, give me two teams, and then uh, we'll decide if we get enough to to make well, one or two. Well, fuck that, out of it. fuck that, fuck that. What we should do is like do the most interesting teams first because it creates more content during the lull times. All right. For- so you 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 want to go? No, 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 let me I'm, guess. You want to go with Ottawa and Vancouver? No, I I, I no no <laughs> I got you. Next next right. podcast, Florida Panthers. You want to go Panthers? Yeah. Florida Panthers. That's a bombshell. That's a two-hour podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. All right. I'm good. All right, man. Well, this has been fun. It's been real. It's a uh, two-hour and 30-minute two podcast. So uh, hopefully you put up with our shit, but we'll see you next time. <laughs>